As we now kick off our SMSU campus update, joining us in studio as per usual, Bill Molso, Vice President for Government Relations, Communications, and Marketing. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Good Very to be good. here. Good, good, good. And also joining us in studio is Jen Flowers, Director of Athletics at SMSU. We're just going to call you the Athletic Director. I hope that's okay. Totally fine. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks so, for having me. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And uh, you've only been in this position for less than a year, correct? Correct. About seven months. I think I'm... Uh, we'll go with that. Seven months. About seven months. So... Uh, <laughs> Still kind of in the uh, learning stage, or do you you feeling pretty comfortable? Uh, I don't know that I'll ever feel comfortable. I mean, I just think that, and that means more around just the ever-changing world of college athletics more than the role at SMSU. But every day gets a little, little better, a little easier, a little more knowledgeable. I'm starting to really understand um, kind of who's who on campus and, you know, how things operate and work and where we fit into the puzzle. And um just had a really good kickoff all-staff meeting this morning to kind of get us going in second semester. So, um, yeah, it's been good. It's I'm, I feel like I'm uh, not having to swim quite as fast to stay above the water. How's that? <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, let's kind of learn some background information about you. I mean, obviously, you're the athletic director. The director of athletics must mean you have some sports history in your background. What did you play as a uh, student? So I was a, a collegiate student athlete in the sport of volleyball. Played softball also for a couple of years, but I went to Winona State, so a fellow Minskew uh, school. Uh, graduated from Winona State and then went and got my master's at the University of Minnesota in sport management. So have really spent my whole career in sport management of some type. I've been really lucky. Um, I coached early on for a couple of years at a Div- Division three school and uh, then had a chance to get into administration or the dark side, as some of our <laughs> coaches call it. But um, <laughs> then that's kind of been my path. And, you know, early on, I don't know, life changes. And I think uh, being an athletic instructor was was a goal. It was something I wanted to get to. Um, just like anything, the path is windy. So uh, excited that this is my first opportunity to be in that role. No doubt. What position did you play in volleyball? I was a setter. Oh, so yeah. you were the, the very important part of the team. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, I was a setter and I was a pitcher. And if that doesn't tell you a little bit about my personality. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I can see why you're the director of athletics. Gosh, yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's very interesting. And uh, so about how far back was this? Was this mid-2000s? Oh, bless you. No, I um, I started, uh, I would have enrolled at Winona State in the fall of 99. So okay. um, I graduated maybe mid 2000s, maybe <laughs> like 2003, <laughs> two, something like that. That's a long time ago now. I feel like I was just with a college teammate of mine this weekend, and we were um, rehashing some of the good old times. And I was like, "Man, we're 20 years out from that." Like, don't say that. I just said it live on the radio, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been a it's been a long time. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but it's been fun, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no doubt. Always yeah. being a college student athlete prepares you. For yeah. what's next. That's especially what we, so we tell our current student athletes, very real. So you also spend time as the commissioner of the Western Collegiate Hockey Association. And uh, during that time, it was also during COVID time. Can you kind of walk us through that experience? <laughs> I can sure try. Goodness. So I, I became the commissioner of the WCHA in uh, the fall of 2019. So right before six it. Yeah. months in, we hit COVID. And so the, the WCHA is unique. I think um, it's hard for people to understand sometimes. It's a Division One women's hockey conference. At the time, we were seven institutions working on St. Thomas, which became the eighth during my tenure as well. Um, but we're talking about schools like Ohio State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, in the same conversation as we were talking about Bemidji State 
St. Cloud State, the University of Minnesota Duluth, and Minnesota State Mankato. So very, very different institutions, very different capabilities when it came to COVID. We had literally just finished our conference championship was the weekend before everything shut down. Our teams, we actually had one of our teams was in half of the team was in an airplane that thankfully they didn't actually take off because it was a charter. They pulled them back because the NCAA said we're not going. They were getting ready for regional NCAA regionals uh, on that Thursday. So it was wild um, for it to all just stop like that. And in the moment, for me, it's very impactful to those current student athletes. And you're sort of dealing with that part of it in the, in the immediacy. And then as obviously things kept going, um, the real question about will we play, you know, will we have a season six months later in 20, you know, the fall of 2020 uh, and into 21. And, you know, it's really unique to look back when the big 10. So those three schools that are WCHA women's hockey programs, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Ohio state, they also really, they have to follow big 10 policy as well. So, the Big Ten decided they weren't playing football, if you remember, at least initially. They were one of the ones that said, we're not playing football. Well, when they figured out how to come back and play football mid-fall, that was the door opening to us being able to, to try to bring hockey back. So I learned a lot about communication. I learned a lot about patience. I learned a lot about COVID. Um, at times, it felt like I was an epidemiologist, even though I'm clearly not. I mean, you know, you get in those conversations and everyone wanted answers the whole time, right? And None of us knew we were just trying to do our best. So we were the first uh, the first hockey conference to get back on the ice, men or women. Um, so we're proud of that. And we did it in a really safe way. And we were able to play about just short of three quarters of our season uh, with a couple of interruptions midseason based on, you know, our, our protocols. But I just felt I just felt like at the end of that year, like so proud that our league had gotten through that because quite honestly with the, with the different different types of institutions there was a concern at one point that we not only would we not have a season we might not have a league like it was very divided we were very much struggling um and so then to kind of really lean on each other communicate our way through it figure out where we could give where we could take um it wasn't perfect but we were able to give our student athletes a chance to compete and we won a national title at the end of it. There you go. Wisconsin won that year. So then it makes it feel very worth it. Yeah, nice way to cap it off for sure. <laughs> I want to know who are some of the mentors or people that kind of helped you along the way, both as a student athlete and then on the administrative side of things. For sure, Larry Holstead's the first name that comes to my list. Larry was the longtime AD at Winona State uh, when I was a student athlete. And then when I started to went back to work, that was the first place I worked in administration was underneath him. Um, and as a woman, candidly, we always we always feel like you have to have a male champion, and he's been a male champion for me for my entire career. Um, and then Aaron Lind, who's who is our conference commissioner. Aaron and I are good friends. Um, similar, she's a couple years older than me. She actually played one of my high school teammates. It's one of her best friends. Played here at SMSU with Aaron, so I've known Aaron for a long time. Um, as a woman in the business, also just there's. You have to find somebody that you can, you know, you can talk to, you can connect with, you can bounce things off of. Um, and I think that the mentorship thing changes, too, as you change positions. So I, I found a great mentor when I was in the WCHA and Diana Sabo, who was at Ohio State at the time. She's now with the Big Ten, you know, like a completely different life than what I'm living. But she's a woman in sport and has some balances there. So she's she's kind of my my once a week text message buddy at this point, too, just to kind of. You know, it's nice to have different perspective on things. But as I think as anybody can tell you, no matter what your profession is, you've got to have 
an outlet or a person somewhere that can, you know, remind you why you're doing what you're doing or support you along the way or those kinds of things. I was reading up on your bio on the uh, Southwest Minnesota State University website to make me sound smart. <laughs> Appreciate it, you viewing that site, right? Yeah. Right, Bill? Glad it looks like you, <laughs> yeah, you're the uh, first female director of athletics in university history to oversee both the me- uh, women's and men's programs. Mm-hmm. Do you feel a little extra pride, a little extra pressure with that? I think both. Yeah. Um, definitely pride, immense pride. And I think a little pressure. Um, you know, there's... Without this sounding really cliche, I mean, I think when women get to the table, we have to be ready to be successful at the table because our chances are fewer and far between. And oftentimes, at least statistics will show you that men have more opportunity and and more chance to mess up. So I don't want to mess up. Right. I want to make sure that um, that I'm not that I'm the first, but not the last. And so you have to keep pushing and opening doors and um, really trying to to lead. But for me, it you know male or female, men or women, whatever, like I look at our staff and I just, we're just a team. We're just a bunch of people trying to work together, trying to figure things out. I learn from my staff every day. I hope they learn from me every day. Um, I feel really fortunate to be in the position and um, yeah, very proud. Go for it, Bill. You know, one of the things that I quickly learned about Jen, she's as competitive <laughs> as any person I've ever worked with. So that that's a good thing because mm-hmm. when you're in athletics, you want to always be competitive and, and be successful. But one thing that really stood out for me, and I think she had an impact right away, is she t- always talks about student experience. And she implemented something on the student experience side this year that's really been kind of cool to watch. So I'll let, you know, tell us a little bit about your uh, game of the year concept yeah so game of the year i think it, i think that piece of it started before me uh with our student athlete advisory committee but we kind of upped the ante a little bit this year so game of the year each one of our programs tries to identify a home event where it's you know they consider it their game of the year where we really want to encourage all of our student athletes to be at that event um candidly i've talked to all of our teams about being at all of our events because we're truly the leaders on campus i feel in that space but in the game of the year space one thing we added was um all of our student athletes got this really cool brown shirt that's says Mustang Pride, 20 sports, one team. Um, And we asked them to wear those to those particular games and really kind of just show what what collectively our athletics department and our student athletes can look like when we're supporting each other. Um, It was really impactful. I felt like at volleyball, which was the first place we were able to do that uh, and for it to be seen. And you look over at the student section and it's a lot of student athletes and a lot of brown shirts. And there's some connectivity to that and some unity to that as we talk about kind of being truly one big team, right? We've got 20 sports that, and that includes people usually make me like count them out because it's confusing, but wheelchair, wheelchair basketball, esports, and cheer are also under athletics. So we count them in that mix, but, um, we all, you know, we have 20 teams, we have 20 groups doing their own thing, but we have one or 20 sports, sorry, but we have one team. We're all Mustangs. We're all trying to build this together and slowly but surely trying to build some kind of, you know, chemistry and community around our own program to share that outside of us. I'm really glad that esports is considered an athletic. So that makes me an amateur athlete. <laughs> there we there go. It is. There you go. There it is. I wanted to know what uh, your toughest challenge was while leading the WCHA. Obviously, it was in the middle of COVID. Yeah. So it was pretty much just that it. Um, you know, I, yeah, I would say COVID for sure. But I would also just say trying to help bring some exposure to those women. I mean, truthfully, it's they're literally in that league. It's they've won 
all but two of the national championships ever played in women's hockey at the Division One level have been won by WCHA schools. It's the best women's hockey players in the world. Many of them are Olympians in, at various countries. And so just finding some ways to expose people to that level of hockey, which for me, I was not a hockey, but I had no hockey experience. So that probably is part two of that challenge was I stepped into that space really um, other than just being a general sports fan, not really knowing much about hockey. I know about student athletes and I know about leadership and things like that. And that's what they were looking for, I guess, at that time. But um, making sure that those women were seen and exposed in ways that they hadn't been before. And it's continued. They're doing a great job with some TV deals that were that we got started and now they're expanding. And that's exactly you got to start somewhere. So I'm really proud of, of how that's going for them. And what is your uh, biggest accomplishment so far for SMSU or the biggest project you're working on? I told you I got some really good questions. <laughs> you Is know, that one I sent you. <laughs> yeah, that's the one you sent me, Bill. Very good. Um, I don't know. I would love for someone else to answer that. I feel like it's always hard when you're in the middle of it to be real reflective on what you're actually doing and accomplishing. Um, you know, our staff I feel like is more cohesive and working together a little out of our own silos, um, which is progress for us. I mean, I think we talked about it just this morning that we can't we can't achieve our goals as a department alone we've got to we've we've got to work together and then we've got to work together with folks outside of campus and so i i guess i would say maybe so far my biggest accomplishment is just kind of the mentality and approach that our department's taking bill i think one of the challenges that she's facing that all of our athletic directors in uh, northern sun are facing is we've got some changes coming Mm -hmm. next year in membership maybe Mm -hmm. you want to touch on that yeah certainly so upper iowa so the northern sun has been a 16-team conference for a number of years now, and Upper Iowa made the announcement maybe right before Thanksgiving that they're leaving the league uh, effective uh, July 1st. So next fall we'll be down a member, and, you know, the change from an even number to an odd number from a scheduling perspective is very real. Um, I think the biggest impacts you see right away, the sport of football, our conference has played what we call a closed schedule for a number of years, which means we don't play outside of our league. Played it. We would play an 11 game uh, schedule, all conference opponents. And so now we only have, with losing up Iowa, we only have 13 minus St. Cloud and Kirkston who don't offer football. We only have 13 football playing schools. Well, 13 football playing schools does not make an 11 game schedule. So we have a 10 game schedule, um, at least for the fall of 23, which means all of our schools are facing a bye week uh, at different points in the year, which is very difficult sometimes to fill that bye week to provide that opportunity for your student athletes. You know, football only plays 11 games. So to lose a game is really impactful on what the, for those young men and for our coaches and all the work that they do for just 11 games. So trying to, trying to fill that game becomes potentially financially burdensome, depending on what you're able to do. And it's the same, really. If you look at volleyball, volleyball loses two matches because they were upper Iowa was a member of the South, which is for SMSU is we would always play um, the South opponents twice. So, uh, filling those matches in, in a league where playing every single match on your schedule is vital to our, our hopes of, of achieving NCAA, uh, being selected into the NCAA regional. So they've got to find a couple matches. Basketball is going to have to find a couple games, same thing. So um, the impacts are a little different on each sport in particular, depending on how the schedule plays out. But it is it is different, and it's going to make our schedules look a little different. I mean, I think, as anything, when change happens, it's weird, and you have to adjust, and uh, there'll be some financial impact there. But I don't know where that will go for the NSIC. Uh, we're going through some membership studies right now to see – 
who's out there potentially to be new or if there's any other changes that may come within our current 15. And so it's ever changing as we talked about at the beginning. That's why I don't think we ever get comfortable because things just, you know, things keep changing. Do you think they'll ever open up to non-conference matchups? We, we definitely had that conversation right now. Uh, and the, the vote was no initially because again, trying to figure out the odd number and so, like we couldn't just be one, you couldn't just have one non-conference competition because then we still couldn't fit the right numbers in. So then it was going to get weird or where could you play non-conference competition? So I think with more time, if we really believe we're going to be a 15-team league slash 13-team football league, I think there'll be some changes. But sort of everyone was like, well, we need a schedule. I mean, it's next fall and we had already kind of figured out homecoming and then it was like oh shoot are we is our homecoming date gonna have to change and so we moved pretty quickly on figuring out a fall football schedule i think moving forward it'll be interesting to see kind of where we land is there one sport that's harder to schedule than the rest or is it all pretty much the same um football's probably the hardest but just because of the sheer volume of it and um and kind of what other leagues do but because we're in the upper midwest and because our region, I mean, most of the coaches would tell you they're trying to get in-region opponents is important to them when they start thinking about qualifying beyond our conference. So our region runs like basically north to, north to south. We run kind of all down the middle of the country. Well, if there's openings for other teams that are closer, like we sometimes we're just far away, you know, so it does become a little bit more challenging based on our location. But um, so far, you know, knock on wood, I don't know. I don't know how much impact it'll truly have on us. We won't really know, I guess, until we figure it out. But so far, soccer's been able to pick up the match. Volleyball's figured out their schedule. We think we have a we think we have football on the path to being figured out. So it might not be as impactful. It's just gonna look different. So with the position of being the athletic director, you're kind of in the public eye and yet a lot of folks don't really know what you do behind the scenes. Can you kind of give us some of those things that you do behind the scenes? Oh my goodness. I Besides love that. The, the, the scheduling. <laughs> yeah. Fun. yeah. It's funny when, when uh, students will come in and they want to shadow you for a day or something. And I'm like, well, here's my schedule. Which day makes, makes more <laughs> sense to you? So like today, for instance, we had a staff meeting at a meeting with a couple of our coaches about some scheduling issues for their spring practices. We're here. Um, we've got union meetings all afternoon because I sit on cabinet for the university. So I have a lot of university responsibilities beyond just the athletic responsibilities. Um, so in the day to day, it's very different, which is probably why I love it. There's not really one day that ever feels the same. Um, for me, building relationships with our coaches has been and is absolutely key. So every opportunity that I have to pop into practice for a little bit to go sit in their office and just see what's going on. Not a scheduled meeting, you know, not something where, okay, we have to talk about X and Y like, no, let's just catch up. How you doing? What's going on? Um, at the beginning when I would be at practice, it was usually this big eyes like, Oh shoot, something's wrong. Or, and I think they're starting to learn like, no, sometimes I just like to go see what's going on. I mean, how else do you evaluate people if you're never in their space? So I try to give myself some time in my days to make that happen too. But you got to remember we're, you know, as a department, we're overseeing 20 sports. We're overseeing a large budget. We're overseeing significant facilities as a regional institution who's also supporting a lot of high school events that come in and out of our space. So there's a lot going on all the time. You know, on top of that, she yeah. was just at an NCAA convention, so mm -hmm. she's learning what's going on at a national level and how they're going to change the rules to uh, you know impact you down the road. Maybe you want to. I don't and know how much time we have, but oh, we got all day. We got all day. <laughs> yeah. You might have all day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know a lot happened at the NCAA yeah. convention. Yeah. Maybe pick a couple of the hot the hot button issues or some of the 
most impactful things that were a result of uh, this last week's meetings? Yeah. So, you know, people sometimes say NCA and they, when people think of college sports, oftentimes it's Georgia football where you saw win a national title and they've got like 75 staffers in football. I mean, it's like a whole other world, right? So uh, um, when the NCAA convention comes together, it is all three divisions. It's, it's every institution represented. There's a lot of educational sessions and then opportunities to meet as a division and opportunities to meet as a conference and things like that. But the overarching NCAA is in a really interesting state of flux right now. There's a lot happening um, at the division one level that inevitably becomes impactful at the division two and division three level, which is um, right now candidly very scary. I walked out of one session of our big, it was sort of the, uh, I forget the title of it, the state of college sports, I think is what it was called. We had a chance to hear from our outgoing NCAA president and our incoming NCAA president. And I don't know anybody that walked out of that feeling like the sun was really shining. I mean, there's a lot of heavy stuff happening and I think some real potential for some change that may not be great. Um, there's certainly a push to modernize college athletics and make sure that NIL name image likeness is available. And what, what, what does it all look like? And we're, we kind of put the cart before the horse on some things and then you're trying to figure out how to rein it back in and making sure that division two and in an institution like SMSU has a voice or a, a, some stake in that is very real. And I think very frustrating for division two and division three memberships sometimes is that we, we truly do have a stake because we have seats at the table and all of those big things, but that's not, that's not what people think about. And so how do we make sure that we stay in those conversations. But uh, we also take that opportunity to, to vote on new legislation every year. So we did pass 11 pieces of legislation. Um, I think the biggest couple that would be impactful to us is there was two pieces of football legislation that passed. So now it's a football student athlete starting next fall. Uh, an incoming first year football student athlete could play in up to three games without it counting as a season of eligibility for them um, to give them an opportunity. It's, there's multiple ways to look at that, but often with football, it's our most injury injury prone sport. And so sometimes you get to the end of your year and your roster's super thin, but you don't want to pull a red shirt off of someone who sat the whole year. Now having that flexibility to let them play a little bit or to let them play early, um, see what they're about. And if you decide they're not ready, you can set them back down or maybe they play or it's really been a retention push from campuses that with the transfer portal and all these kind of like ideas that the grass is greener somewhere else, if they get a chance to to be a part of it their first fall um, and football is so unique from our other sports with the, the ability to have outside competition in preseason or in other scrimmage type situations but we rectified that as well starting also next year um, not this coming spring but the following spring football teams would be able to have a, a scrimmage against like a different school and not just have your typical spring game against each other. You could have another opportunity to play somebody else, which is again, this kind of retention, this sort of how do we keep people invested in our program if they're not getting that chance to see themselves play. So there were several other things that passed too, but those are the big ones. So it was great. It was in San Antonio. So it's, you know, a little warmer than Marshall and just a little, just yeah. a little. <laughs> it was good. I'm surprised you said football was the most injury prone sport. I thought it was e-gaming. No? <laughs> Carpal tunnel. Yeah, right. Ouch. Forgot <laughs> we might that. find that out later as as those young people get older. <laughs> so I, I do want to know as well with uh, COVID and COVID seniors, where it seems like they have five, six, seven, Forever. eight, nine Van Wilder years of eligibility. Uh -huh. How was that to uh, kind of navigate through? I mean, for me, it's not as hard because I'm not managing their rosters. For the coaches, it's it's pretty challenging. Uh, the the very first year coming out of <laughs> the very first year when the NCA said. 
and keep everybody and everybody can have a year. And they kind of they also did that very quickly without um, institutions really knowing that was coming. So they did release the uh, limits on, on scholarships for the first year. Well, now that's done. So now, you know, if you want to keep if a student athlete wants to stay and use that fifth or sixth year, depending on where they're at and they have scholarship money and you want to give them that scholarship money, it still has to fit within the realms of your scholarship limitations. So for a few of our sports, that's a challenge. Um, and I think it's it's interesting. It's been interesting for me to watch female student-athletes versus male student-athletes and maybe who who's using those COVID years more and who's maybe ready to go be in adult life or who doesn't want to do that yet. And I don't say that negatively or po- whatever. Like, it's just... You know, Sometimes we, we're getting to the point now where some of our student athletes are like, look, I'm graduating. I'm good. I've, I've done my, you know, I've had a great four years or five years. I don't, I'm not going to take that extra year. Um, or right away, I think everyone was taking it. Um, now we're at a point where it's a little more, and I think our coaches are a little more comfortable maybe saying, we don't really have a spot for you in that COVID year. I mean, those are hard conversations, no doubt, but uh, our compliance folks do a great job of tracking who's what, and it, we're, we're getting to the end mm-hmm. of this <laughs> cycle and we're going to be back to kind of what we would call normal. <laughs> oh, I thought you had something, Bill. No, that was just spam ringing oh. here on the phone. So sorry. <laughs> Very good. Oh, I did have one more question. Uh, this kind of goes back to you taking the position as the uh, director of athletics. You've been here for seven, eight-ish months. When you found out about this position, did you apply right away or did you talk to some folks? How did that go? Yeah, definitely talked to some folks. I had, um, I, to be honest, I wasn't tracking on what was going on here in terms of, you know, timing with predecessors and what was going, things that were happening. So someone else let me know that it was, um, that it was open and being searched and, had a lot of conversations with my family first and just, is this, you know, is this something that we want to do? Um, I certainly wasn't looking very, I, I was very happy at the WCHA and was really feeling like we were progressing in the right ways. Um, I think when it all came down and I finally just kind of said, you know, let's give it a shot. Like, let's just see what it's about. I'm going to learn just like anything. Like when you go through the interview process, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. You're trying to figure out like, is this a place where I can see myself? Is this a place where I can, maybe be successful. Um, my family, we were living in the Twin Cities. I was ready for maybe a little bit smaller community. I'm a small town, Iowa kid. So this is a nice size community for us. It's bigger than my hometown, but it's not as big as where we were. And I wanted that opportunity for my kids to kind of have sort of one community and, and one, you know, one school system, one athletics scene, one, you know, extracurricular scene and, and Marshall Public Schools checked all of our boxes um, with what we were looking for. So it all came together through the process. And then when I was fortunate enough to be offered the opportunity, it felt like this was what just kind of felt like this is where we were supposed to be. So do you, how many kids do you have? Two kids. I have a sixth grader. Ayana's 11 and sixth grade at the middle school. And Kellen is a second grader at Southview. So do they have a passion for sports like mom? Um, or is it too young for that? Just yet? So it's interesting. So my husband, um, is you know arguably one of the best basketball players to ever play in the league. Um, won a lot of games in that RA facility. Uh, they were close games, at least. They were very close games. It was always great. Actually, really good good battles. But so and then he had an 11 year professional career in Europe playing basketball. So 
to say we're like a sports family is is kind of an understatement. But I think that what that has what we're seeing right now is that has maybe put a little pressure on our kids. I mean, when someone meets our kids, that's literally the first question they'll ask them is, oh, do you play sports? And so my daughter in particular is navigating her way through what sports she actually wants to play versus this expectation that she plays everything. And so we're, we're getting there. My son is a total junkie. So yes, he's the easy one. He loves it all. He'll play it all. Uh, he lives it and breathes it in every <laughs> capacity. My daughter is playing basketball. She'll play some softball. She's trying to, she's trying to figure out kind of what her niche is and what she wants to do, but we don't have any expectations of that. If she, I don't, we've just always told her, you've got to do something. You've got to be involved in something. So if that's, band if that's theater which i think she'll probably dip her toes in all of that so that's also what i love about being in a community like this where she can figure out what's going to be best for her and and we'll go from there i just realized we've been chatting for 30 minutes which i said we had all day which i mean it's fine by me but I'm we were sure a little you guys short had... last week yeah. so we're making up for it yeah, exactly. don't ever that's give okay. me a microphone josh yeah, this no, is what happens this is a good interview i'm, <laughs> I'm appreciating the time here this morning um but I feel like we should probably wrap it up. Okay. Anything else before we let you go? Just, you, you want to say anything? Ask no, anything? I, we, just, we appreciate having Jen on the team. We're excited to see uh, where she's leading Mustang Athletics. Very good. Bill, I'm assuming you have ourselves a, a big schedule of stuff, so we'll let you run through that right now. We do have a few things uh, going on this weekend, or this week, actually. Um, Mustang men's and women's basketball are home again this weekend, so two weekends in a row. Uh, Friday night, they'll host St. Cloud State. We switch it up now this second half of the season, so the men will play first at 5.30 with the women to follow at 7.30, and then they will host UMD on Saturday, and those are 3.30 and 5.30 starts. Swimming is also home this weekend. They've got uh, Triangular, I, did you say 2 o'clock, Jen? 2 o'clock, yep. On Saturday versus uh, University of Minnesota Morris. You know, why didn't we have her do this? This is like Well, I got to say thing. something. Oh, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you're showing up here for nothing. I got, I got more. I got more, Josh. Yeah. Give okay. me a second. What else do you got for us? Uh, so that's Saturday, uh, 2 o'clock okay. on campus, Morris. Northern. And Northern State. Okay. Triangular, three teams. A uh, couple things we want to put on your calendar. February 3rd is the big Ag Bowl Scholarship Invitation. We'll have over 700 uh, students on campus for that event. So we'll put that out there for the community to pay attention to. And then another one coming up February 4th, it's the big Brassapalooza. Are you a former band band member? No. Okay, well then never mind. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> This is open to brass players of all ages, and that's a fun Saturday afternoon event. So Brassapalooza, check out the website for more details. And then mark your calendars. The week of February 6th is Winter Meltdown Week, culminating with Tropical Night on February 11th. Can I add one more? Yeah, go for it. Friday, February 17th. Gold Rush Raffle, our biggest athletics fundraiser of the year. Yeah, we should probably mention that. In the RA facility. Uh, If you need tickets, if anyone's listening and needs tickets... Stop by the athletics department. We got gotcha. you. 